The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Immediately after feeding the crowd with the five loaves and two fish, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I've heard those who've preached before me say this a few times, so let me give it a try here. God is good. Well, it works. That's great. All the time, God is good. Yeah, we gather here in this place to give God worship, similar to these disciples in the boat after um, Jesus joins them and calms the sea. The waters are often used in our faith in the scriptures as a symbol of those chaotic powers in the world that often threaten us. Um, The disciples felt threatened uh, not just by chaotic powers, but the chaotic powers of the sea. And they were eager to give worship to Jesus when they recognized how he had saved them. We know God has saved us as well. Our God is good, and so we come here to worship him in a similar way. He's important for us. When we walk into someone's home, it usually doesn't take long to find out what's important to the owner of that home. A mess of toys laid about says that children are the center of attention or that they've taken over. A golf bag cluttering up the entrance reveals someone who loves golf. A few of those carpet-covered posts with different platforms might reveal someone who loves cats. A grand piano in the living room, baking tools all over the kitchen, walls covered in photographs. These are clues about what's important to those who live in the home. The same thing can be said about our church, too. 
Of course, we try to have a comfortable and appealing space here. And in our worship, so many work to make sure there's good music, a smooth flow, and even some good preaching. But the architecture of every church, the buildings that we're in of every Catholic church, they direct our attention to one important central feature, the altar. What happens at the altar, that's what we come here for. It wasn't that long ago that we weren't able to gather here because of the pandemic. Over YouTube, it was possible to listen to the Word of God, and we definitely prayed together. And thankfully, many continued to offer sacrifices by dropping their contributions in the mail slot. But what we all missed most was something that can never be replicated through any live stream. That is, approaching the altar to share in communion. I have to give thanks for all of you for this experience of communion here over the last few months. I, I feel fortunate I have celebrated Mass in Asia and, uh, and uh, 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 New Zealand and Europe and North and South America, but not Africa. I haven't been there yet. But it's nice to get a taste of that here. We may come from all over the globe, but our Lord unites us together. Our Lord, our Church, unites us together. That's a sign of communion. We saw that in a very big way just two weekends ago at World Youth Day uh, when youth from around the world gathered together in Portugal with our Pope. It's a sign, an outward sign of an invisible communion we share. A few weeks ago here, especially for those who call this church home, we started reflecting on the Mass we celebrate by first observing how we're stirred at Mass to consider the mysteries of our faith. We're not called to solve mysteries at church, but we are blessed by what we see and hear. The biggest mystery of our faith and the biggest source of our blessings is the Eucharist. Now we know the bread and wine brought forward as part of our sacrifice become the body and blood of Jesus was still appearing as bread and wine. It's a transformation that remains a mystery for every person, regardless of faith, because it urges us all to ask, what if? What if something happens at Mass that can't be perceived or measured? What if the bread and wine really do mysteriously become the body and blood of our Savior? And most of all, many might ask, what if it's just incredibly difficult to believe that Jesus could be physically present with us in the Eucharist. Guess, first of all, it's completely okay to have questions and even doubts. Denial is no good, but doubts and questions keep us seeking and wondering about God. And for disciples, that's not bad. At the Last Supper, there were many things the disciples didn't understand. They didn't know Jesus was about to betrayed, was about to be betrayed, or that Peter's faith was as weak as it was. The resurrection was beyond imagination, and it was only after recognizing the risen Jesus in the breaking of bread that the disciples realized the importance of the Last Supper. If you find understanding here difficult, and that questions and doubts come easy, 
you're in the right place. Since we're talking about communion, I just want to address a question that I get, and maybe some of these priests get too, a question about a practice that can sometimes make us uncomfortable. I've often been asked about why our church reserves communion for just those who are Catholic. It's almost painful, especially at a funeral or our wedding, when we might gather in prayer with people of other faith traditions. It's not a new policy. In the days of the early church, only those who were in full communion with the Christian community were permitted to even observe the liturgy of the Eucharist, that part of the Mass where we kneel and come up for communion. Visitors, and even those who had every intention of joining the Christian community, were welcome to hear the Word of God, but right after the profession of faith would be taken aside to learn more about our Lord. That invitation we receive for communion isn't about being worthy enough, because truth be told, on our own, none of us are. Being welcomed to receive communion isn't a question about faith. There's no way to measure that, and it's entirely possible for a non-Catholic to profess that they really believe, as we do, that the bread and wine truly become the body and blood of our Savior. Receiving communion isn't even about being holy enough, for even Judas was invited to the Last Supper. No, the invitation to come before the altar is really about a relationship. We expect a couple to be in love before professing wedding vows. Even if they know everything about one another and about marriage, even if they have absolutely every intention of falling in love and keeping their vows, it's still expected that they would form a healthy and loving relationship before professing vows. The vows express an invisible relationship that already exists. We expect a driver to have a license before driving a car here in Ontario. Someone may take all kinds of lessons, know all the laws, and be the safest driver on the planet, but no one has any business driving without a license, a right relationship with the Ministry of Transportation. The plastic driver's license we carry expresses an invisible relationship that exists before getting behind the wheel. Coming up for communion is about an existing relationship, too, not just with Jesus, but also with his church. The act of coming up for communion is an expression of that invisible relationship that exists even before we take steps up to the front. Of course, despite any explanation, this this policy still hurts because it just doesn't match the warm welcome we wish to express in this place towards everyone who comes through the doors. And maybe that's okay. At the Last Supper, Jesus prayed that no division would exist among God's people, and yet to this very day, there still exists many divides, even among the disciples of Jesus. And those divides should cause discomfort and pain and should prompt us to echo our Lord's prayer for unity. 
What if the bread and wine are mysteriously transformed into the body and blood of Jesus? If that's true, it's wonderful news for us, because if God can invisibly transform bread and wine into something life-giving, he can transform us, too. We can do much to change our appearance. We can buy new clothes or change our hairstyles. We can shape our language and even the shape of our bodies with enough discipline. But to transform ourselves and become the saints we know we're called to be, that's a transformation that remains beyond our power. In today's gospel, we learned about the limits of St. Peter's faith. Clearly, some internal transformation was needed before he could have the faith required to walk on the chaotic waters of the sea. A call to martyrdom he would later receive would would call for an even deeper transformation. But if God can transform bread and wine into his physical presence, he can transform St. Peter and us too. And so while approaching the altar today, while dwelling on the mysteries of our faith, maybe consider what you would like to see transformed. What miraculous inward change would you like to receive? What invisible transformation is needed for you to become the saint you were called to be. Just before concluding with a prayer, I'd like to extend a special invitation for you all in September. Um, On the second weekend in September, September the 10th, we are celebrating here the 90th anniversary of our parish and the 65th anniversary of this building. And we're going to celebrate it. We hope to have so many people that they would not fit in this building We're going to celebrate it in the park across the road at 10.30 in the morning. So September the 10th at 10.30. Our bishop is coming. We'll have baptisms and confirmations and first communions. We have a a barbecue, live band, and all kinds of things for our children to do. So definitely you're very welcome to come. If you live in Bowmanville or elsewhere, we're always happy to have you all here as part of our community. God of all creation, we ask that the outward signs of our faith would not only reveal our often hidden relationship with you, but through your Holy Spirit bring real transformation. May our worship this day shape our hearts to reflect the heart of your Son and increase our faith in his transforming presence here. We offer all our prayers in his name. Amen.